Welcome to TSDRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining us today is Dr. Ben Espy, a veterinarian with an extensive equine-focused practice. In addition to being the King Ranch veterinarian, he cares for rough stock and professional rodeo timed event horses, as well as being the head of veterinary services for the last 25 years at the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. He was recently awarded the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association Veterinarian of the Year Award. Dr. Espy, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Sure. To kick us off, share with us about what sparked your interest in being a vet. When I was, I guess, probably in the early years of high school, probably eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, I got shipped off by my parents. They told me I wasn't going to sit at home. And I just started mucking stalls in South Texas. And it was a weird kind of dynamic because I had a, you know, there were a bunch of teenagers that worked there, you know, feeding and checking water buckets and things like that. And, you know, it's down in Kingsville, it's 105 in the summertime pretty much every day. And I just, everybody would moan about how hot it was. And I just really loved it. And I know it was just kind of a strange dynamic. So I always got kidded a lot because I just really enjoyed going to work and muck and stalls, which is strange, but um, that's kind of how it all started. So I was probably 13, 14 years old. Okay. So an environment that you knew you wanted to be in and work in. And then tell us about the path that you've gone down now, because you do a lot of unique and interesting things as a veterinarian. Well, I, when I got out of school, my wife was four years behind me in veterinary school. So while she was at Texas A&M, I worked in Brenham at a mixed animal practice. And then during that time is when the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo called me and asked me to start working for them. So every February, I would go to the San Antonio Rodeo and staff that stock show. And that was about the time the PRCA made it mandatory for them to have a vet, not just available, but actually on site. And so that was in 96. And then in 99, my wife graduated from vet school and we moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And I ended up working at Rudin Riddle for a short time. And then I worked at Haggard Equine Medical for about seven years. And those are the two biggest clinics in Lexington. And then uh, I just kind of missed Texas and we started having kids and I moved back to San Antonio. And so that, you know, that relationship with the rodeo community just kind of exploded. I was here full time instead of just sporadically. And that I went from doing professional rodeo. I went a little bit backwards and started doing youth rodeo and high school rodeo and college rodeo and all that kind of stuff. And then that's kind of where I am today. I just pretty much have an exclusively rodeo practice. When it comes to caring for working horses at the ranch, what are the top things that come to mind to maintain their overall health? I would say vaccines and deworming are obviously really critical. I think in any environment, when you're intermixing horses and a ranch working situation is a good example because you don't want to be, you don't want to have your movement restricted by horses that are not vaccinated and vaccinated and things like that. Also, some ranches have horses that are competitive horses that are leaving town to go do shows or events, ranch rodeos, things like that. And if you have those horses vaccinated and then your resident horses not vaccinated, then you have to worry about quarantines and when they come back from the show and all that stuff. So that's just pretty common sense. And then I would say feet are probably the next most common concern I have. I would say I have a lot of neglected feet meaning that, you know, the people just don't pay attention to the feed and you'll get extremes in weather. Like this past year in Texas, you know, we had very, very cold weather, a very wet year in some places, 
you know, the hoof is a dynamic tissue, meaning that it swells and contracts depending on the weather and depending on the weight of the horse and depending on the activity of the horse. So hoof care is pretty essential. Doesn't necessarily have to be shoes, but it does need to be managed with trimming. And then probably the last thing is teeth. I don't really push needing to do teeth all the time on every horse. I think there are a lot of veterinarians that say that use an absolute necessity. I don't necessarily think it is. I think obviously in my competitive horses, I float teeth very, very frequently. And I think people harp on that, which is legitimate. But at the same time, when you have a bunch of broodmares that are turned out that have the correct body weight, I don't know if you want to be pouring a lot of money into floating teeth. In general, I think that, you know, wild horses don't get their teeth floated and they and they are fine. So I think there's two extremes. There are people that float teeth every nine months, and then there are people that don't float teeth at all. And I think you just kind of have to find that happy medium. Sure, sure. And that makes sense. And yeah. also being aware of your horse and their temperament and when they're not feeling quite right. Yeah, and I think also, too, you have to do some, the human involved has to do some introspection, and you have to look at how abnormal you're making the horse's life. For instance, if, you know, going back to the bucking horses we were talking about earlier, if my bucking horses are turned out on grassland in northeastern Colorado, and they go to 17 rodeos a year, that's about as close to natural as you can get. If my broodmares in Lexington are turned out on pasture 18 hours a day, grazing with their head down, then that's about as normal as you can get. And, you know, it's not going to negatively affect the health of the horse. And then if you are in a situation where you're showing horses and the horse is stalled 20 hours a day, then obviously the human interaction is impacting the health of the horse. And that's how you, you have to you have to decide how much how much you're negatively impacting the horse. Sure, sure. And then deal with it. Yeah. The interventions increase based on more stall time. The correct, less correct. like they are just a regular horse out in a pasture, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. The more you make their life unnatural, the more veterinary care is required. Another aspect of horse care that I'd like to hear your thoughts on is nutrition. Well, I think the old timey ranch feeding, and it's even, you know, a perfect example is the name that people use. All the old cowboys that I deal with use the term sweet feed. And that's been the kind of the nomenclature that's been used for, gosh, I mean, I've been a vet for 26 years now. And ever since I've been around, I mean, I'm 53 or yeah, I guess I'm 53 now. So I mean, you know, my whole life, sweet the term sweet feed has been used. And that kind of is relates to the old way that they made feed palatable, which was by adding molasses to it. And you can even open up some of these bags of feed. I'm sure people have and been, you know, I mean, I'm kind of saying this tongue in cheek, but I'm serious. It's like, if you're really hungry, and you feed horses early in the morning, there have been many, many times where I thought, wow, you could literally add milk to this and eat it. Like it's almost like smells like Apple Jacks hey, or yeah. Fruit Loops or I mean, it's got so much molasses in it. You could literally add milk to it and almost eat it like a bowl of breakfast cereal. Uh-huh. 
you know, and I think if people have fed horses before, they can kind of relate to what I'm talking to. But, you know, nowadays, all of my pro horses, I mean, literally without exception, all of my pro horses, and I'm talking not just timed event horses, but even my bucking horses, like I had 12 horses at the NFR this year, and then I took care of all the pickup horses. And so even those horses across different disciplines, the timed event, the bucking horses, and the pickup horses that I had in Vegas, all of those horses are on high fat feeds now. None of them are on high sugar feeds. And that's the trend that we see all over the industry now. People, you know, horses are not 1,100 pound people. And what I mean by that is, you know, everybody used to be scared of being on high fat diets because of cholesterol problems and so on and so forth and arteriosclerosis and, you know, heart attacks and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, somebody a lot smarter than me woke up one day and said, wait a second, horses don't have heart attacks. Horses don't have blocked arteries. Why are we worried about fat? And so they started, you know, feeding these horses fat as the main caloric source. And they just metabolize it a lot better. You don't have all the foot problems and you don't have all the, you know, the endocrine problems that you see in horses nowadays, you know, with the laminitis and crusty necks and Cushing's disease and maybe glycogen storage disease and PSSM and all that stuff that people, all those terms that people throw around, those are all carbohydrate-based diseases. And so if you convert your main food source to fat, then that's sort of what the trend is. And so I try to relay that to all my cowboys, even in a working match, not just at the pro level. Very interesting. And it makes sense. And that leads me to think of another topic, body condition. What should be considered when evaluating body condition in horses? Well, I think that the best way to describe it, I mean, there are lots of charts that everybody can look up, especially because everybody has smartphones now and everybody can look up body condition scores and the AEP and AQHA and all the breed registries have body condition scores they look at. But in short, it's like, again, I'll try to make it really simple. Okay, so the body condition score by the AEP and the AQHA is a 1 to 10 or a 1 to 9, depending on who you talk to. And as you can probably imagine, nine is obese, one is skinny, or what you know, one is like, you know, a horse that needs to be confiscated because they're rescue. And then of course, five is what you want. And so a body condition score of five, the summary is is that you can't see the ribs, but you can feel them. And the back is flat and you can't see this the top of the spine, the spinous processes. And that's pretty much it. And that's what I try to tell people, you know, you shouldn't be able to see the ribs in any situation. And I usually suggest another tip that I use is I always tell people to walk around the horse and look at the rib cage, because depending on how the light falls or depending on if it's springtime or summertime and depending on their hair coat, like for instance, in the, in the wintertime, sometimes they look skinnier or fatter depending on how long their hair is. And so that's kind of what I recommend to people. And then another so kind of other tidbits that are good information are I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very experienced with feedlot conditions in cattle. And in general, cattle can gain at the most three pounds per day. And it's the same thing with horses. At the most, horses can only gain three pounds per day. So another interesting fact is it takes about 100 pounds of body weight change for you to see on a horse. So if someone decides, oh my gosh, my horse is too skinny, they're at least 100 pounds underweight, maybe more. And so when they start feeding the correct amount, it's going to take over a month for that defect to be repaired. Because a lot of times what I'll have is I'll say, you know, I'll come out there for a routine visit, whatever, float teeth and 
you know, deworm the horse. Maybe those are reasons the horse is skinny. And then a week later, people are saying, well, I don't see any difference. You floated its teeth and dewormed the horse and I don't see any difference. And I have to explain to them. I'm like, okay, well, it's going to take 40 days for you to put on 120 pounds. Right. Sure. So that's the one thing that people, I don't think people get frustrated by that. It's just kind of an education thing. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I get it. Dr. Espy, thank you for sharing your insight today. We really, really appreciate your time. Great talk to you. Joining us now is Grace Dunham, Executive Director of Events and Partnerships for TSCRA. Grace, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm really glad. I'm really excited to hear some of the highlights about the Cattle Raisers Convention this year. So tell us, what can we expect to see this year at the convention? Absolutely. We'll have a lot of the same things that people have come to know and love about our convention. We'll have over 30 hours of educational opportunities within the School of Successful Ranching. We'll have a live cattle demonstration where people can pick up practical knowledge about cattle management. We'll have 250 exhibitors from all parts of the ranching and agriculture industry. We're also looking forward to hosting President George W. Bush as our keynote speaker this year. Red Steagle will be joining President Bush and they'll be having a fireside conversation. It should be a great opportunity for our members to hear highlights from President Bush's time in office and also his experiences as a rancher. Well, that sounds like something that folks definitely won't want to miss. And this year with convention, there are some new elements that are being added. Tell us about those. We'll be having a graduate research poster showcase at the convention this year. That's going to include graduate students from accredited universities in Texas and Oklahoma who are going to bring posters that pertain to what they are studying in the beef industry. Additionally, we have our learning lounge. That's something new that we are looking forward to implementing this year. It's going to be taking place in the expo hall, and it'll include people from the School of Successful Ranching will be coming down to take questions and follow up. Maybe you were up at the School for Successful Ranching, and there was a great presentation, and you have a ton of questions you want to ask and follow up about. This will be a great opportunity for you to come and have some one-on-one time in a smaller, more intimate setting with our speakers that are going to be participating in the School for Successful Ranching. We also will be having an after party on Saturday night. An after party is a little bit of a misnomer. It'll start at 9.30 on Saturday night. It'll be at the convention center in the expo hall. And this will be a great opportunity for people young and young at heart to come and join us. It'll be a country cover band. So some songs from the 80s and 90s and even today that are good for two-stepping. So how do folks register and get more information about the convention? Absolutely. Registration opened on January 1st, and you can go to cattleraisersconvention.com. Again, that's cattleraisersconvention.com, and you can find the link to register online where you can find information on how to register for the School for Successful Ranching, our expo, all of the meals, all of the add-ons, the dinner and dance, the after party, and also cow camp. Early bird pricing will end on Valentine's Day. February 14th. So be sure to register before then. Grace, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the information about Cattle Raisers Convention. And to our listeners, as always, to learn more about TSCRA, visit tscra.org.